0: Remember, last week in our overview, we noted that the problem in Galatia is identity. There's an identity crisis going on in Galatia. The crisis is how do these new Gentile believers fit into this Jewish community? The rabbis say that they have to convert, as they always have, before they can have full fellowship with them. And of course, Paul says, no, they've been accepted by God. And so how can we not have fellowship with them? And of course, the new Gentiles who have come into this faith of Messiah Yeshua, they just want to be a part of the community. Well, Paul is going to get right to the point. No chapters on the good news in this letter. No praise for the people as with the book of Romans. No walking on eggshells because he knows these people. He didn't know the Romans, so he kind of walked on eggshells with them. But he knows these people and he gets right to the point. Five verses of of greeting and stating his authority. And he says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by grace. A Messiah and turning to a different gospel. I mean, that's getting to the point. And so let's go to verse 1, chapter 1. Let us get to the point. Verses 1 and 2 say, Paul, an apostle... Sent not from men nor by man, but by Yeshua and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia. And notice he says that he is an apostle. And you know, when we think of an apostle, we think of usually one of the twelve who were with Yeshua. And indeed, if we read where the apostles go to replace Judas in the book of Acts, they determined he had to be, it had to be one who was with them the whole time the Messiah Yeshua was ministering on earth. He had to witness his death, and more importantly, he had to witness his resurrection. And so Paul does not fit that criteria for an apostle, However, he was sent by Yeshua to the Gentiles. And the book of Acts states that the Lord says this to Ananias, he says. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And so when we understand that an apostle is not just one of the twelve, but it's actually one who's sent out with a message, then certainly Paul qualifies as an apostle. The word apostle in its simplest form refers to one who's sent with a message or with orders. The Hebrew equivalent of the word apostles is the word shelakim, and if you look in the Talmud, it speaks of those who were sent out to announce the new moon as the Shelachim, the sent ones. And if we look at the word apostle in uh, the, the Strongs, it says a messenger, he that is sent. And with that understanding that it means sent one, certainly Paul fits the criteria of an apostle. But... You know something else? It also means it isn't the first time he was an apostle. Because remember, our very first glimpse of Paul is his being sent out with orders from the Sanhedrin to arrest the followers of the way. Now there had to be a reason, we have to think about this because I want to talk a little bit about Paul today because actually he's the writer of the letter. There had to be a reason that he would be an apostle for the Sanhedrin. They just didn't pick anybody. The Sanhedrin didn't choose anyone. What would qualify him to be sent? Well, Paul and studied under Gamaliel. Paul was a rising star in Jerusalem before he came to faith in Yeshua. And he was sent on a mission by the high priest. Let's look at the type of education he had. Let's look at uh, Acts chapter 22 in verses 2. He says, Then Paul said, I am a Jew. Born in Tarsus of Cilicia, brought up in this city under Gamaliel. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. Notice he says that he studied the law of our fathers. Now I want to ask you, is he speaking of the Torah, the law of God? No, he's not speaking of the Torah, the law of God. And what I want you to see here is every time you see the word law in our scriptures, it doesn't always refer to the written law. Because here it refers to the oral law. And we're going to cover this more in later uh, uh, lessons. But to the first century Jew, when you said Torah or law, as we translate it, it had a much broader meaning than it does for us today. We learn here that he was thoroughly versed in the laws of the fathers, but it really means what it really means is he was thoroughly versed in the oral Torah, the oral traditions, those that have been passed down orally from generation to generation, and his training would have been under Gamliel, who was the grandson of Hillel, and so he would be considered of the school of Hillel or Beit Hillel versus, say, the school of Shammai, or Beit Shammai. I want to read from Stern's New Testament commentary a little history on this fellow Gamaliel so we can see what kind of training Paul had. Gamaliel one known in Jewish history as Rabban Gamaliel, the elder, was the first to carry the title Rabban, our master, our great one, rather than the more common rabbi, my master, my great one. His name means God is also for me. He is the elder because he was the first of six Gamliel's of whom his grandson Gamliel II was the best known. Gamliel I was the grandson of Hillel, the leader of the the school of disciples, Beit Hillel. At one point, as many be inferred from his title, Rabban was the head of the Sanhedrin. He was a Pharisee and a teacher of the law at whose feet Shaul of Tarsus, or Paul, sat. That he was highly respected by all people is confirmed in the Mishnah. It says, When Rabban Gamaliel, the elder, died, the glory of the Torah came to an end, and the purity and holiness came to an end. While the temple still stood, Gamaliel laid the groundwork for the triumph of liberal Pharisaism under Yochanan ben Zakkai after the second temple's destruction." Now, I bring this up to show you the type of education that Paul had. He had literally the finest education that you could have in Israel. His rabbi went on to become the head of the Sanhedrin. Paul would would have been an expert not only in the written law, the law of God, but also in these oral traditions the Oral Torah, or as it was stated here, the Law of the Fathers. Part of the problem that we have as Christians in understanding the book of Galatians is we fail to distinguish between the laws of God and the laws of the Fathers. And we also have a failure, that we fail to put the letter back into its context. The first century. We read the letter like it was written to us. That's not the case. We're actually reading someone else's mail. And if we don't go back and we don't look at the circumstances that it was written under, we're never going to understand the book. Now, we should note in his greeting that despite his education, this tremendous education he has, Paul says nothing of his rabbinic training in establishing his authority. And in fact, he just ignores that and says... That he was not sent by men or man, but by Yeshua the Messiah. Paul, in his opening statement, he really states the difference between the teachers in Galatia who've been throwing these people into confusion and himself. And the difference is, they're called and trained in keeping the Torah in the ways of men. The fathers, the sages, the very thing that Paul was an expert in and his credentials probably in that area probably exceeded theirs. But, why bring up the trivial? (laughs) When he can say with witnesses, if necessary, Ananias, that he was sent by God himself. He doesn't argue for this worldly education, but he trumps that by saying, I was sent by Yeshua the Messiah and God the Father and not men. Even though he had this tremendous education and was excelling in the traditions of his fathers, he gave up those things for a direct relationship with Yeshua the Messiah. This is a powerful opening statement and one that could only be made because the Galatians had already witnessed the power of his calling. He's been there. It raises his authority above those who are his detractors. And the interesting thing about this verse and the reason I wanted to read these and focus on these today is that Paul says he wasn't sent by man or men, but directly by Yeshua the Messiah and God the Father. And what he's saying here is that his message is not from men, but from Yeshua and God the Father. He's an apostle. As we said, it means messenger, sent one he sent out with a message that yeshua would give think of that statement we spoke of the oral torah which was the traditions of the fathers the message of the fathers like hillel and shammai and how the whole, i want to read how the oral torah would be read for you how the rabbis taught it says this is from the talmud rabbi judah reported in the name of samuel the halakha or teaching is like Rabbi Simeon. Rabbi Naman ben Isaac demurred. Which Rabbi Simeon? Is it the Rabbi Simeon of the Mishnah? What I want you to see here is that the teachings of men, these teachings, when a rabbi taught, he's going to rely on the traditions of the men that taught him. The rabbi that taught him, or the fathers... Each sage is going to, or rabbi, would teach his disciples or students, and they would learn his lessons word for word, so that he could quote his sage exactly. So then when the student became a rabbi, the, he could say, my rabbi of blessed memory, rabbi such and such, gave, then, and then he would give the teaching. So when the rabbi laid hands on his student or ordained him into service, that rabbi was confident that that student could speak in his name. And even if it was one of the student's own teachings, he could still speak in his name because he was so confident that he knew his teachings, so that he could lay hands on him and ordain him. He could put a stamp of approval even on the, the student's teachings after that. But Paul, he's not relying on the traditions of men, but on this relationship with God. He could have espoused his credentials, but the credentials that matter to Shaul now, and the one that trumps all, is that he's sent by Yeshua. It doesn't get any better than that. Right? Listen to what he says of himself in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4-6. through 6. He says, If anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. <laughs> Paul describes himself as legalistically faultless. And what we can determine from that statement again is that he was an expert in these traditions on how to keep the Torah, the oral Torah the traditions of the fathers. He kept them faultlessly. To those around him, he was very pious, very observant. And so Shaul is a man trained by men and early in his ministry, or early in his life, he's sent out by men as an agent of the Sanhedrin. He was taught by one who would be the leader of the Sanhedrin and was the grandson of the great Hillel, one of the most famous rabbis in history. Shaul was a student who faultlessly followed the traditions of the fathers and in the eyes of the people and the Pharisees, he was faultless. That's who's writing the letter. This man so well, tradi- well versed in the traditions. That'll all change on the road to Damascus. Here's what he says of himself after that. Philippians chapter 3 verse 7. But whatever was to my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Messiah. What is more, I consider everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Messiah Yeshua, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Messiah and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Messiah Yeshua, the righteousness that comes from God is by faith. He counts all of that fine education he had, all of those years that he spent, loss, and doesn't even mention them when stating his credentials to the Galatians. Okay, so that's enough of that. But I wanted you... I wanted to kind of cover who this man was. And here's what I really want to get at as far as being an apostle. We must assume from the statement that when he says he was an apostle sent by Yeshua, he was sent with a message that carries the exact message of Messiah Yeshua himself. An apostle had to deliver the message of the one who sent him. And if he didn't, he delivered something else, then he wasn't an apostle of whoever, right? I mean, if I send somebody with a message from me and he goes to that person with something entirely different and claims it's from me, then at best he's a liar or a false messenger. So if Paul is a messenger of Yeshua, we know that the words and his teachings will not vary from that of the Messiah. If they do, then he's not an apostle of Yeshua. He's not a messenger of Yeshua. He's a messenger of himself or whoever's message he's giving. Or he's a false apostle at best. The message has to be the message of Yeshua. And what was the message of Yeshua? Yeshua. Well, one of the things he said is this, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or the least stroke of a pen shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. And whoever annuls, One of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Since that's the teaching of Yeshua and the kingdom of heaven and the earth are still here, then we know Paul will not say or do anything that teaches anyone to disobey or disregard the laws of God. If he does teach that one should disobey or, or disregard the Torah of God, then he not only will be leased in the kingdom of heaven, but neither can he be called an apostle sent by Yeshua because he's not carrying Yeshua's message. Three of the four Gospels record Yeshua saying in this Matthew 24, verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So again, if Paul is Yeshua's apostle, as he states, his words must agree with the words of Messiah Yeshua. And not just that, but listen to what else he said. He said, sent not from man or by man, but by Messiah Yeshua and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He's also an apostle of God the Father. He was sent by Yeshua and God the Father. So we can also assume that his words will not vary from the words of the Father. And again, if they do, then he can no longer call himself an apostle of God the Father. Right? Well, what did God the Father say? You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws for the man who obeys them will live... By them I am the Lord. And so again, we know that Paul will teach that we must follow the commands of God that apply to us. We also know the Father said this, Exodus chapter 20, said it out loud. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your manservant nor your maidservant nor your animals nor the alien living within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but on the seventh day he rested. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So, Paul will teach the same thing. That Jew and alien, non-Jew, must keep the Sabbath and they must keep it holy and not do any work. If he teaches anything contrary to that, then he would not be able to say, I was an apostle sent by God the Father. Because those are the God the Father's words. The point being, as we go through Galatians, the point I want you to come away with here is we're going to be checking Paul's words with the words of Yeshua and the Father in his Torah to make sure that they don't vary, that he does his words do not vary from the message. We're not going to be checking the Torah and the words of Yeshua in the Gospels with the words of Paul as is often done. Because Paul didn't send Yeshua and the Father, they sent him. We're going to be checking the words of Paul with the words of Torah and the words of Yeshua to ensure that we correctly understand what Paul is saying. Now, who is he writing to? Well, simple. He's writing to the churches in Galatia. Well, there's a that's a big area. But specifically who? Well, first, understand... This, when Paul went to the diaspora, he went to the synagogues to preach. And so let's look at an example of who he preached to and who accepted his message. And then we'll know who he's writing to, right? Makes sense? So if we go to chapter 13, we'll find Paul in Pisidian Antioch, which is part of Galatia. And so we have a great example here of who he's going to be writing to, because it will tell us. Acts chapter 13, verse 13 says, From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga they went to Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath day they entered the synagogue and sat down. After reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, People of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. And so first we learn that he's speaking to the people of Israel, the Jewish people. And second, he's speaking to the Gentiles who fear God. It means Gentiles who have not fully converted, but are worshiping the God of Israel. So they're still considered Gentiles, but they're called God fearers those who fear God or those who fear heaven. If we read on in verse 42, a little farther down, it says, as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. And when the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. Okay, so we have the makeup here of the people of the congregation in Galatia that he's writing to. If you think back to Romans, we covered these three groups of people because they're going to be the same everywhere, but I'm going to refresh your memories because it's these groups, one of these groups particularly, that's going to have a real identity crisis here. First, we have the Jewish people. Those who are natural born to the 12 tribes of Israel who's been, who have been dispersed out to Galatia. No identity crisis there. They know, they know who they are. They were born into the covenant with God, circumcised on the eighth day. They know who they are. They don't need a whole lot of explanation. They were brought into the covenant of Abraham and Moses from birth. They're the keepers of the Torah, the written law. They also keep the traditions of the fathers. And as we see, some of them are accepting the message of Yeshua. As we covered last week, it's what distinguishes them. Being Jewish is what distinguishes them from everybody else in the world. All the unclean pagan world. And they now live in Galatia amongst these pagans. This is a pagan land with all kinds of unclean practices like idol worship. Sexual immorality. And on. We could go on. The other group we find listed is devout converts to Judaism. No identity crisis here either. These people who had followed the, they had followed the prescription of the rabbis and converted completely to Judaism by the traditions set forth by the rabbis. Not by God, mind you. These aren't the traditions of God, but these are the traditions of the rabbis. This is how the rabbis decided you became a Jew. And it included three things. First, you had to learn and adhere to the Torah and the oral Torah just as any other Jew in the community would keep it. And the oral Torah, again, that's the laws of the fathers that was spoken of above. The way the Jewish people, that way, since they're fully converted, now the Jewish people could eat with them. They could go into their homes with no fear of being contaminated by an idol or anything else. Right? Second, they were circumcised in the flesh. And third, they were immersed in water. And then, after immersion, it would be said of them that they were born again. This time, a son of Abraham. They were B'nai, or in English, sons of Abraham. You know, this morning, remember in the Torah service, we called up the reader and we say, Arise, ben A- so-and-so, ben Abraham, son of Abraham. These people were former Gentiles who had fully converted. They had completely forsaken idol worship, completely forsaken their former friends and family members who were still heathens. They wouldn't go into their homes any longer. They were considered fully part of the nation of Israel just as one who was naturally born. In fact, there were some rabbis said they were even more pious than they were because they chose to become a part. We were just born in. And then the third group we found in verse 16, it says, You Gentiles who worship God. And this is who Paul is going to specifically be addressing this letter to. They were called god fears fears of heaven, and they were among the Jews and converts to Judaism, but were not fully converted. You know, there were many more god fears than proselytes. And the reason was the conversion process was so harsh and such a departure from their former lives that not everybody wanted to make it. First, because they'd have to treat their family like heathens. Like the heathens that they were. And so they could have little contact with their family any longer. Second, they had to be circumcised. And circumcision was a mutilation of the flesh to these people. They worshipped the human form. Look at some of the ancient statues. You're going to see all these ancient statues naked, showing everything. Because they worshipped the human form. And so god fears, even though they worshiped the God of Israel, weren't ready to make this big step. They weren't ready to separate themselves from their family, to mutilate their flesh. And it's important to note that until they did, they were still considered what Paul called them, Gentiles. And Gentiles to the Jewish people did not have a share in the world to come. They were not going to what we call heaven. They were considered by the Jewish people and the proselytes as unclean. Still unclean. They wouldn't even go into their house. Read Acts chapter 10. It was the Torah and the traditions of the Jewish people that separated these people from pagans. If this had been before the good news reached Galatia, this group of people would have been contemplating conversion To Israel, they would have been encouraged by these others in the synagogues, others who had already converted by the Jewish people to convert because naturally they wanted to bring them in among them. And the Gentiles too wanted to be fully accepted. And so they're kind of torn here between family and friends on the one hand and the mutilation of the flesh on the one hand and being part of the people of God on the other hand. Torn. And as I said if they were to convert they would be totally separated from their pagan ways they'd have to, they'd have to be uh totally separated from their family they would have and then they would be able to have full fellowship with the members of the Jewish community they would be considered a part as if they had been born into it they'd be able to eat with the Jewish people have Jewish people over to their home in their homes and so forth because now they were fully converted they knew all of the purity laws they knew how to live as a Jew But here's the problem for Paul. Now that the gospel of Yeshua has been preached, these God-fearers have already been accepted. The good news and the Spirit of God had been poured out upon them and God-fearers were not just God-fearers any longer. They were accepted by God and Yeshua. They were all part of the world to come. So why is conversion necessary any longer? See? Paul knows that God has accepted him because he tells us in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 2, he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you'd heard? You see, Paul had witnessed these people receive the Holy Spirit. Well, God doesn't pour his Holy Spirit out on heathens. He pours his Spirit out on those he's already accepted. Paul knew God had accepted them and because God had chosen them to have fellowship in it, chosen to have fellowship with him through his spirit with these uncircumcised fearers of heaven, well then why shouldn't he have fellowship with him? Right? Who are you to question God? So the makeup of the congregation are believers from each of these groups. And then we have those who have not accepted Yeshua from each of these three groups. So there's actually six groups here instead of three. There will be some from each group who have accepted the good news of Messiah Yeshua, and there'll be some from each group who have not. And Paul is writing a letter to the congregation with believers from each of these groups. But it's to these uncircumcised Gentiles who have accepted Yeshua, they will be the main focus of the letter. And the reason is simple. They're the ones the others are trying to influence to convert in the traditional manner. You see, salvation is to Israel. As Paul says, all Israel will be saved. They're being told, as we will see, you god fears need to become part of the nation of Israel to continue in your salvation. You need to convert and you need to do it as our fathers have dictated because that's the only method that we have. And And then you'll be a part of Israel. And if you don't, you won't be a part of Israel. And if you're don't are a part of Israel you won't be part of the world to come. Paul will say a well-known Hebrew word. Let me repeat it for you. You can repeat after me. Ba lo ni. You have been accepted. Yeshua accepted you and the spirit of God has been poured on you and hey It doesn't get any better than that. You're in. Jews and proselytes are trying to influence them to do something that Paul says and the gospel of Yeshua says is not necessary. Now, is that something Paul made up or is it consistent with the words of Yeshua? Well, it's consistent with the words of Yeshua. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 8, verse 10. I tell you the truth, he's talking about a Roman centurion, an uncircumcised Roman centurion. And he says, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Perfect agreement with the words of Yeshua. So, is Paul an apostle of the Messiah? Yes, he is, because his message is consistent with Yeshua's. Those who are following the traditions of the fathers and not the words of Yeshua are trying to influence. In fact, Mark Manos, in his I think is one of the best commentaries on Romans to date, doesn't use the term Judaizers, but influencers describing these people. And since he wrote his book, many people have have, have seen the correctness of this term uh, uh, influencers instead of Judaizers. Because Judaizer, as I pointed out last week was a term that was not used uh, until the 2nd or 3rd century. So in a a brief few minutes now, we've covered who wrote the letter and his background, who he wrote the letter to, and we've also touched on why he wrote the letter. So let's now continue with his greeting. Verse 3, he says, Grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. Paul does something here in his greeting that uh, other letter writers do not do. Up above he says, Yeshua sent me, and here he says, greetings to you from Yeshua. Grace and peace to you from God and Yeshua. They sent me with grace and peace for you. He said he was an apostle, and he speaks as one... As of an apostle, the message is not my own, but I'm bringing you grace and peace from Yeshua and God the Father. But the next part is interesting. It's the only place where the terminology is is used. And listen to what he says in verse 4 and 5. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us. Hey, these folks have been rescued. He's telling these Galatians that they've been rescued. Not will be rescued, but they are rescued already from the present evil age. You know, I think most Christians think uh, we look at this and we we have a rather narrow view of this rescuing. We think of the redemptive work of Yeshua and that, yeah, one day we're going to glory land. Well, it's not one day. It's today we've been rescued. It means a bit more. Look at what the word rescue means in the Greek. I put it up here for you. To pluck out, to draw out, to choose out, select a person from many. Rescue, deliver. To be chose out from many, Yeshua has chosen you. And Paul is saying to the Galatians, Yeshua has chosen you out of everyone else for himself. And out of where? He chose you out of this present evil age. Now I said last week, Paul never speaks of any dispensations except these two. You see, these dispensations that you hear are a tradition not of the rabbis, they're a tradition of the church fathers. To Paul, there is no church age. Never once does he mention a church age. That's a Christian teaching. That's some, te- some pastor, or Theologian somewhere along the line started that. But to Paul and Yeshua, there are only two ages. The present evil age. The one we live in and the one that they live in. And the second is the coming age. When Yeshua will return and rule on the earth. And Paul is saying to these Gentiles who have accepted Yeshua, look, you've made it. You have been rescued From the present evil age. What does he mean by evil? Well, let's look at what uh, the dictionary says of that word. Full of labors, annoyances, hardships, of a bad nature or condition, of disease, of evil, wicked. Labors, hardship, toils and perils, wickedness. He has rescued us from all of this. And not just when we get to the coming age, which of course we all know is also called the Sabbath rest of God, but today He rescued us. He does not say who gave Himself that He might rescue us in the future, but that He has rescued us. The book of Hebrews makes an amazing statement in this regard. And it's speaking of the Sabbath rest of God, when all men will rest, and it says this, In chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice... Do not harden your hearts. You see, Paul in the greeting has really summed up the rest of the letter. So this will be the last in the series of Galatians. No, not really. (laughs) But he's really summed up the letter for us. Yeshua has rescued us from the toils and the hardships and the perils and the wickedness. And we're no longer part of this present evil age. We're no longer part of the wicked thing that we used to be. We've been rescued today. If you have faith and you walk in it. You no longer have to strive in this world. You no longer have to convert to Israel in the ways of the fathers, of the rabbis. Because you've made it through Messiah Yeshua. Through your faith in Messiah Yeshua. Because Yeshua has rescued you and you are now part of the world to come. You're a shoe in for the kingdom of heaven. And what he's implying to the Galatians, hey, start walking in it. There's nothing left for you to do. You've been rescued. It's a done deal. And Yeshua has already torn down the dividing wall.